Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. And you never have looked at open source. You've never looked at open data. In the last week, as we're recording this, we've just finished State of the Map in Florence, and we're just starting PhosphoG in Florence. This is the biggest open data conference in the geo world, followed by the biggest open source software conference in the geo world. And if you don't understand what a miracle these things are, then I think... My guest this this afternoon, Marco Benasacci, is going to explain to you why, at least in open source GIS, we have miracles. This is a David versus Goliath story. It's, It's the story of one man scratching his itch and it becoming the biggest GIS program in the world. It's the story of how a collaboration of people can create a product that millions around the world are using today. It's a story of how we've enabled people to use geospatial technology. It's a fantastic story. And here with me to tell this story is Marco Benasucci, who is the, let me get this right. He's the chair of the QGIS organization board. Is that correct, Marco? Yes, that's that's fairly correct. Yes. Okay. Um, He's... He speaks Italian, English, German, French, Spanish, and he claims that he understands something called Romanche. And I went and looked this up, Marco. Romanche is is the fourth language in Switzerland. Um, Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that in a minute. And he also says he understands a bit of Swedish. So welcome, Marco. Um, First of all, just tell us, how did you get into GEO and how did you get to become the chair of the QGIS board? Um, something maybe a lot of people don't know, I studied medicine originally. I, I, I didn't study medicine, I started studying medicine. And then I thought, well, either I do this 150% or I don't do this. And I had way too many other hobbies, so I dropped out of medicine. And, uh, well, I went to my second uh, passion, which was computers and geography. And I started studying geographic information science at the University of Zurich. And from that all kind of grew. They were um, giving us courses with uh, proprietary uh, software. And uh, I was using Windows back in the first year and I was getting frustrated. uh, And I started using, looking for alternative and I found Ubuntu and started using that. And I liked the concept and idea. Uh, and then, obviously, I started looking for something to do GIS with. And back then, we were we were talking QGIS 0.6 times, so a um, <laughs> long time ago. And I looked into, um, I think it was OpenJump and QGIS, and somehow QGIS, liked it, I liked it better, and uh, started working with it. Uh, during my master thesis, I built the. I, I helped out building the the Globe plugin so, um, for QGIS and got them more and more involved. And finally, the big step into QGIS was when, uh, at the end of my masters, I needed a couple more 
credits and I applied for a scholarship at uh, Google for the Google Summer of Code program. And um, right. I, um, I got accepted there and I started porting QGIS to Android. And that's how I got really involved into it. I spent three months uh, just looking at the black bash screen and trying to compile all those libraries behind QGIS. And eventually I got a window of, of, of QGIS opening up in my in my phone and I was like, oh, that's so much worth it. That's so oh, worth wow. it. And yeah, that was 11 years ago. So that's also... And that's also presumably the beginning of Qfield. Yes, that is absolutely the beginning of Qfield. Uh, back then, the idea was always, first, let's get QGIS running uh, on a device and have it completely look like, it, it looked exactly like QGIS, just in small and very hard to use because the phones back then were like three inches and not seven inches. Yeah. Uh, and the idea had always been, eventually, I'll just, remove the user interface and put a user interface on top of it that that it's best of the class and that's what happened with uh, with qfield okay so we'll come back to qfield um but you know i described qgis as a miracle um because i think it is a miracle you know i think the you know the idea that a group of people can come together and produce a product like this that has evolved like this is a miracle. Um, uh, but let's get right to the beginning of the QGIS story. How did it start and when did it start? Because it predates even you getting involved in it, doesn't it? Yes, 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 absolutely. It, it started 20 years ago. In fact, this year we are, uh, we, are, we, are we have our big birthday of, of 20 years. Um, there was Gary Sherman in Alaska, which needed um, a tool to visualize post-GIS data. And that's how QGIS started. So he, he, he built something to, to connect to his post-GIS database and to visualize its geometry, its vectors. And from then, uh, he worked on it and eventually it published, I think, I think the website was Fresh Meat back then, where he published a message saying, hey, I built this little tool. And um, a couple of people started joining pretty early uh, the project. Uh, Tim Sutton, Marco Hugentobler, those, those very, very long, uh, long time uh, committers. And then the project kind of at the beginning grew slowly. And, um, and eventually, I'd say um, by version maybe 218. Uh, that's that's been or maybe already to zero there's been an explosion and we look if we look at the 3.x series it's it's just growing and then getting fixes all the time getting uh, amazing new features and there's this community which is which is growing a lot so it's it's really neat really need to see uh, this this and I was actually you, you mentioned before we had state of the map last week and we have post um, 4G starting we actually also last week we had the QGS uh, contributor meeting right on uh, together with state of the map in Florence and I was there for a couple of days and then came quickly back home and now I'm going again to post 4G and it was so cool to, to be there and to see uh Maybe one third of the faces were new faces. It's not only the and how many, how many people roughly are active contributors to the QGIS project today? I'd say about 
maybe 50 people are really doing a lot of work yeah, around. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Between, you know, we have, we have, I mean, obviously the first thing people think about is coding uh, QGIS itself. That's only one part. There is such an amazing, uh, actually we have more than 50 because all the translators, we are translated in something like, uh, I think over 70% translated. We are at 25 languages or something like that. Um, wow. So all these are teams of translators. So, uh, and then we have all the documentations, uh, all the website, keeping website running. So there is, there's so much that, that happens besides the actual coding of QGIS itself. If QGIS was a software company, it would be a big software company by now. You're talking about a software company with probably 100 employees and no commercial people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be a very big. Yeah. I think we looked up. You know, there are these models to to calculate how much work has gone into a software based on uh, on the amount of lines. And I think at QGIS we are at uh, 510 years of of development power, full time development power. Wow. So it would be a pretty big uh, development company. Yes. So. What about users? How many users do you think there are? I mean, I know you don't know because you don't have cell licenses. You don't record who's downloaded it. But can you make a guess? Well, um, luckily, since, um, since, since a couple of months now, we have the possibility to look at um, how many times QGIS connects to the plugin uh, server. So... So we added this as a only metric that we know. So basically, uh, all we know is if it's a Windows, a Mac, or a Linux machine that it's connecting to the server and what version of QGIS. That's, that's the only metric we have. That means literally multi-million user sessions every single month, Marco. That's incredible. That's a lot of users, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a big, big amount of users, yes. So do you have any idea what the economic value of QGIS is as a project? I think that's, that's impossible to assess because, um, I mean, we could probably put a value on the software itself. But if you consider how much you're actually empowering people through the software and how many projects are built on top of it, can't really, you know, it would be just a wild estimate that I think has no, no value whatsoever. I saw an interesting article this week about um, how proprietary software discriminates against local people in development projects. And the, the reasoning was that um, development projects often have Western backed um, consultancy businesses working in them who tend to bring their proprietary software with them and then require local people to use that proprietary software, which excludes lots of people from being able to participate. Um, whereas open source software enables people to participate and to actually take ownership of those development projects rather than being sort of token figures in the project. Absolutely. I think that's one of the greatest features of, of open source and of QGIS inherently is that you can actually go to a place, you can set up a, a project there, and then you can be sure that um, 
people there will be able to continue the project and will embrace the project itself as their own project because uh, because they can and because they don't have to go and look for crack license or try to to have a, a budget somehow. Um, so I think that's a, that's a very great uh, great thing of of, um, of all those open source projects out there. So do you find that um, users become contributors? Yeah, fairly often uh, power users um, do become um, contributor of, of project because they start seeing their own um, you know, their own issues and they uh, they try to fix them maybe or maybe they, they find that the documentation is not up to date and they need more uh, better documentation. So that's how people usually get involved. And then if they are coders, maybe they'll get involved as well into the into the coding part of the software. Scratching the itch. Absolutely, yes. For the benefit of the people listening to us, um, the miracle of technology means that Marco is on a train from Zurich, I think it is, to Florence at the moment. And occasionally, when his microphone's not muted, you're hearing the train announcer. Um, so just bear with us with that, because uh, the only time slot that he had available to talk to me was on this journey, and I'm grateful to him for that. So, Marco, um, what have been the milestones in QGIS history? Well, I think um, QGIS 1.0 was already a big, uh, big thing, but it was still a very niche software. I think... Uh, the release of QGIS uh, 2.0, which uh, you should remember very well because it was in Nottingham, uh, was uh, was a pretty big moment there. I think that's that was it was charged with with uh, with, uh, with emphasis and, and and it was really it was really like okay, it's it's a serious project. It's here to stay. It's here to grow. And, uh, and that, to me, was a really key moment. On top of it, it was also the moment where I, or where Tim actually back then announced that we had an Android version of it as well, so that we were entering mobile mapping as well. So I think that was a pretty key moment. And from that on, then the the version, the release of version 3.0, um, there was huge. I mean, there was uh, really. We changed all the back, uh, all the libraries we had in the back, and we, we modernized a lot of things, and, and that's where it really exploded. And actually, I think um, that QGIS 3.0 was was a massive growing moment for the whole of the QGIS project because I remember sitting probably in Bonn in about 2016, but I'm not certain, listening to the project team talking about what was going on under the covers to get us to QGIS 3.0. And the maturity in terms of dealing with legacy issues, but keeping QGIS 2 running throughout of that. So it wasn't as if QGIS 2 stopped, but um, it was going along, but at a slower pace, whilst all the effort was going into building a modern QGIS with new libraries and everything. And it was a very impressive moment from my point of view because um, you saw a really sophisticated software organization dealing with the issues of legacy code and stuff like that. Um, so I think that was, a, yeah. Absolutely. And, and maybe another point 
pretty important, which happened last week, actually, to me, something I had uh, on my, my plate, on my head for a very long time. We had a, a vision meeting in Firenze at the contributor meeting where we actually started looking into what's what do we want our vision to be and what do we want our mission to be. So really, you know, like looking forward in, in a professional manner, uh, also in, in uh, what do we want to be, what do we want to uh, allow people to do. So and that was really great to, to see it happen. And I'm really grateful about that. So a question for you, because when you're talking about vision, um, Traditionally, uh, QGIS has been has been built by contributors, and some of those contributors, like your own company, OpenGIS, are partly funded uh, by customers uh, who want features adding to QGIS. Is correct. that correct? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly correct. Yeah, but that does mean, to some degree, that the direction of the project is driven by the users. And whilst we all like to think that we're user responsive, um, potentially the users don't always know what's best. It's Yes, it's, it's fair enough to say that, uh, that it's driven by user, yes, but uh, there is also a big role of, of the, the core contributors, uh, everything that's quality assurance, uh, that uh, that happens when a user comes and asks for something you know we're building that maybe in core if it makes sense and that's the role of the maybe the companies or the the contributor itself to say hey that's way too specific for qgs that's something that's attached to your workflow of your company let's make a qgs plugin out of it and that's a bit the role that that companies and then software engineers have to say well i can build it in QGIS, but maybe the community will say that doesn't make sense in QGIS, or you can already go to your client and say, look, I think it's better if we do a plugin out of it, and, and then you make your client happier, and, and you don't waste resources. I see, and actually that's that's a great explanation, Marco, because the, the plugins that go with QGIS, and there are hundreds and hundreds of those plugins, enable you to customize it um, to do specific things without that actually having to find its way into the core product. Exactly, yeah. So, for the benefit of, well, not just for my benefit, but for lots of people who don't quite understand how open source works, how is QGIS organized as a project? Is it a company? Is it a charitable foundation? Um, officially, QGIS.org is a Swiss association, um, which means that, um, well, we're not really a charitable association uh, officially, but uh, we are kind of, uh, how to say, it's just an easy, in Switzerland, it's very easy to build an association, and that's why we went that way, uh, because Andreas, um, the, the treasurer of QGIS, is from Switzerland, and, and it was really easy for him to set up the whole thing there. Um, but that's just technicalities. So the really interesting part is how QGS.org is organized toward the outside. So we are um, we are a, a, an association that has um, voting members, and those voting members are of two types. There is the country voting members, and those are the count, the national user groups, 
We have uh, 27 user groups in 27 different countries. Um, and then we counterbalance that with individual members that are elected by the community itself. And those are people that, uh, that have been doing a lot for QGIS. They get elected as a voting member. And so you have, um, you have this uh, 27 plus 27. And plus then we have one, one uh, vote into OSGO. So, so that uh, we are uh, an uneven uh, number or an odd number. Right. Yeah. yeah. And every year we have the AGM and we get uh, questions that rise up from, from community and we vote on this and, and yeah. But the user, the country, the, the national user groups are very loosely organized. They can do, they can be organized as they want. Important thing is them being inclusive, being open um, and having non-commercial status. And what does the board do? <laughs> the, the board keeps things running smoothly. <laughs> That's what we try to do is, is actually, um, it might sound like nothing, but it's, there is always things popping up, uh, questions from community, um, controversial questions that sometimes do not get an, or like when you, when you have a split uh, community that some things did way, some other things the other way. Uh, eventually somebody has to take a decision happens very rarely but uh, that's also something we do and then we just keep keep things running we we engage with other associations uh, we we try to figure out the budget we we try to get sponsoring we try to keep the project uh, smooth so that people can dedicate their resources to what they like, be it, uh, be it translating, be it documenting, or be it uh, software engineering. Okay, so you talked, you mentioned money or sponsorship there. Um, explain to our listeners how a free software product is financed. So for um, QGIS, and, and that's not, the, I mean, some other projects are built in a very different way. Let's, let's focus on how, how, how QGIS works. And basically, uh, you can become a sustaining member of QGIS. And that means that you are uh, paying a membership, a yearly membership, which variates between uh, 500 euros to 27,000 euros for our platinum. By the way, we're still looking for our first platinum sponsor uh, <laughs> sustaining member so we have plenty of gold and silver but um, yeah so and and these these uh, members are actually do not get votes it's not that because you are a sustaining member you have a, a right to vote on a right to decision you're just sustaining economically the project and that is a renewing uh, thing every year you can you can uh, renew your sustaining membership. If you don't want to go that way, we have other ways uh, to to finance. That's obviously donations, uh, micro sponsorship through GitHub sponsorship. You can you can do small sponsorship there. You can click on a donate button. So there are plenty of ways to get money into QGS.org, and that's something that we really do need a lot. It's a QGS. Yeah. It's a huge project and is running on a budget of 210,000 euros per year. And that's like the budget of a, of a, of a small, 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 small company. So it's, it's really, we are doing an amazing work 
with the budget we have. And, and that's only possible thanks to all the work from all the contributors, the volunteer people, all the companies also that are investing a lot into into the project um, um, in the work that they do. So the, the community is carrying basically the whole, the whole project, yeah. So if you're a company who employs um, technical people that contribute to the project, uh, how do you make money out of that? How do you pay wages out of that? Well, um, it's, it's pretty easy, actually. Uh, as a company, uh, you usually build something for a client. So the client is actually paying my company to get something uh, implemented in QGIS. And uh, at OpenJS.ch, for example, we'll, we'll, we'll build that thing and then we'll put it in QGIS um, in the software. And obviously, first, beforehand, you discuss with the client, explain them, it will be available to everybody. And I think in 11 years, having a company, I've had maybe, I don't know, three clients saying, oh, no, we want something only for us. If it was relevant to QGIS, if obviously it's a plugin that's very specific, that's something else. But... Uh, but it's, that's that's how it works, and it's it's really easy. The hardest part is to have all the infrastructure running, all the um, you know the the backwork, the, the documentation, the translation, which are really hard to sell to clients. That's that's much harder, and that's what we need the budget for all the the bug fixing round and right. so on. Yes. Yeah, I get that. So it's easy to get a client to pay for new a new 3D a new 3D mapping capability it's more difficult to get them to pay for replacing some old libraries that are no longer supported or um, writing the documentation uh, for for something that they're not interested in Absolutely, I get that. Yeah. Um, and I think you've done an incredible job and you and the board are to be both congratulated and thanked, in my opinion, because uh, you've built this project. Um, it is sustainable. It's been running for 20 years. It's quite an amazing achievement. So looking a little bit forwards, Marco, um, I've seen a lot more remote sensing tools getting incorporated into QGIS in the last couple of years and more capability for visualizing and 3D and things like that. Um, what's the next big thing that you see on the roadmap? Hmm. That's a very, very interesting question. I think the, the next big thing might not be such a fancy thing as a feature, mm -hmm. but it's more probably eventually we'll have to again uh, update all the backend libraries. So maybe go to Qt6 and then, you know, that's, that's a huge work. Uh, that is coming upon us. It's not pressing, but uh, but you know, it's probably that's the next big big thing that uh, that will be in on the roadmap of QGIS. Yeah. So it feels as if every five five to eight years, you're going to have to do a a sort of reworking of the infrastructure and of the plumbing behind QGIS. Does that sound about right? Yeah, it's. I wouldn't say reworking. I'd say just updating and putting things to the to the state of the art. Uh, 
this time is not going to be as bad as it was between two and three, where we broke all APIs and so on. Um, actually, last week, we already had some messages saying that uh, QGIS is building already against uh, the newest ver library version. So uh, I think it's going to be much less, much less uh, painful. But yes, I mean, uh, software grows at an, an incredible rate and, and if it's only five to eight years, we are lucky. <laughs> if you start looking at the JavaScript world, I mean, <laughs> in five to eight years, it's, uh, it's like... Uh... Yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, <laughs> it seems to be a shame that um, more people who use open source software um, don't contribute to it. Um, I've, I've talked at conferences before about there not being a free, there's no such thing as a free lunch and, you know, free software only works because people contribute to it. And um, all the organizations that use QGIS and save themselves hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in licensing costs compared to some proprietary software, if they just contributed a fraction of their savings, um, you would be well financed and able to do all of the things that you've just talked about. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a pity, but that's life. Uh, you know, it's uh, that's what happens, and that's what we are trying to do um, as a board. We are trying to to get also bigger companies to, to start getting involved. That's we had another meeting last week uh, in Firenze about how to. Uh, make uh, how how to make it possible to explain really easy this kind of problematic because many people do not know. You know, it's, no. it's not that they do not want to. It's well, it's out there. It's free. Why should I get involved? I don't know how to get involved, or it's complex, or it sounds like only if I'm a software engineer I can get involved. So I think we need to do a lot of work on communication and on on, on trying to figure out how to get our users, which might be part of a larger uh, enterprise or a larger corporation, to get to their bosses and be able to give them an easy one-pager infographic explaining, look, that's why we should be supporting this project. That's why we should either uh, give developer time or give money or, or give whatever, but uh, that's why we should yeah. support. And that's, I think that's a key part that's coming up uh, on us as a board and on us as a project as well uh, in the next year is really try to focus communication so that we can uh, we can get that uh, better. Okay, so, um, and I'm sure there would be people out there who don't write code who'd like to get involved with the project. How, if you want to get involved with the QGIS project and you don't write code, how can you go about that? Well, there are plenty of things that, that you can do. Uh, as I mentioned, all translation is, is always a classic. If you speak another language, it's really important for us. Um, if you're using QGIS, you probably know how to use QGIS, so documentation is really important. Keep it updated. It's a massive work, way, way hard. And then um, the third part, maybe um, also in you know something that has nothing to do with QGIS itself, the technical part, communication. We are all techies. We have nobody that speaks really a marketing language. Uh, 
that'd be really interesting to have, you know, somebody that is really good at, at texting, somebody that is really good at uh, user inter- uh, like a, a design. Let's just finish with um, your company, OpenGIS, um, because OpenGIS is an open source business and uh, you're the proof that you can, you can build a business, pay people salaries, give them a decent living um, and do all of that using free software. So tell me a bit about OpenGIS, how many people you've got, what do you do? So um, at OpenGIS.ch, we are 21 people. Currently, so we've been growing a lot lately. Uh, we do a lot of developments uh, around anything that touches QGIS. We have um, five core committers and seven or eight people that are actually doing things in QGIS uh, itself. So we are very, very committed to QGIS itself. Um, we were right last week at the, ha- at the, the contributor meeting with a team of, uh, of seven. So really neat. Um, we build up solutions that uh, so either are really enhancing QGIS or um, are built around QGIS. So maybe full uh, geospatial infrastructure for uh, an administration with QGIS server in the back end, or um, or then at times we go into we do also a lot of web application developments. Uh, which use QGIS server in the back. And then, of course, one of our big things that we do is the whole development of QField and QField Cloud. So these are these are something that we are putting a lot of effort into. And as you said, yes, it's, it's, it's a business. I mean, the company has been running for uh, 10 years now, and it's been steadily growing. So it is really a business that it's possible to manage, even in Switzerland with Swiss salaries. <laughs> Yeah, but you also get the, the delight of living in a magnificent country with beautiful countryside. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and all the benefits that go with that. So tell me about QField. What is QField now? QField now is the, the perfect uh, partner for QGIS when you need to go and get data on the field. So most of the data we look at in QGIS are gathered on the field and, and that's what you want to be using if you're out there and you want to be efficient and you want uh, your your uh, surveyors or uh, your users to be able to digitize a lot of things in a very in a very quick manner that's uh, basically it's a QGIS without the QGIS interface made for um, being able to digitize data on the field directly supporting G- high precision GNSS and, and all those kind of uh, tools that are needed by surveyors. And does it only run on Android or does it run on other? No, it runs, uh, it runs on Android, it runs on uh, iOS. iOS is just is still on, on test flight, but uh, we're talking a couple of weeks. So the next, that's a big spoiler, the next release is going to be on iOS as well. Oh, so, fantastic. So I'll get to use it. And, and on Windows as well, all Windows mobile tablets as well. Okay, and um, so this is sort of the big button version of QGIS, you know, with it yes, cut, cut down to just do data, effectively just configured to do data entry. Yes, it is configured to do data entering, and the interesting part is that you're actually configuring it on QGIS, the project once, and then you can deploy it through QField Cloud or through your cable or whatever solution you want. You can just deploy it to QField and use it on the field, yeah. Cool. Cool. 
So uh, that gives, um, and then presumably you can sync the data back to um, to whatever date to your PostGIS database or whatever it is that you're using to store your data. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, whatever you had originally, the data gets back there, be it through QField Cloud or be it through you actually sending your geo package uh, back to the office as whatever you want. Yeah. Cool. Um, I'm looking forward to this then. If I can get QField onto my iOS device, um, I can go out and start capturing data in my local neighborhood. Um, us Apple users have been neglected by open source for quite a long time, I think. Um, it's a, it's a, yeah, I started out on uh, Android and um, we, there was never really this big uh, request or there were people asking for it, but in the Android world, there were people also paying for things. Whereas yeah. from iOS, nobody ever came. We got a sponsor last year from the Swiss, from the QGIS Swiss uh, user group to bootstrap the work. Right. Uh, but but we did not get much uh, from the iOS community, um, as in like you know inc incentives to to kind of come on do it now. Yeah. I guess that's always the problem. You know, you have to have the sponsors to get these things to happen. But um, yeah. It's you know I've watched the the sort of arc of QField as it's become more and more robust and more functional and you know um, and it really does complete um, the suite of QGIS products because you've got QField for the field data capture, QGIS for the desktop, and QGIS Server, um, which is in itself is the same engine but is an incredibly powerful web mapping engine now, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. And that's, I think, what, what closes a bit the loop. Um, is that, I mean, you go get out, get the data, get them in, analyze them, and then publish them. And that's the life cycle, the complete life cycle of your data. Yes, yes. Fantastic. So you're on your way to Florence for Phosphagy. Are you talking at Phosphagy? What are you doing at Phosphagy, Marco? I'm going to Phosphagy right now. Yes, uh, in the train to Florence, and there I will have um, three talks, one about the history of QGIS, and then I'll have a talk about QField Cloud, and a talk about how to use uh, QField in a professional setting. Right, okay. Yeah, so you... and right today we had a workshop about QField, it was completely big. And one of my friends um, from Aston was attending that workshop, I know, so because he mentioned that he was going to it. So, so I'll hear back from him afterwards. Marco, have a fantastic time at Phosphagy. I'm really sad that I'm not going to be there this year. Hopefully next year I'll see you in, um, where is it, Kosovo next year. In Kosovo, yeah. yes, yes. Which will be exciting. Hope to see you. Um, thank Maybe you. you can sing again, like in 13? Uh I think you really want Ivan Sanchez to do the singing, maybe rather than me. But if if you twist my arm, maybe I'll sing. Um, it'll also be ten years. Um, you've just reminded me. It'll be ten years next year since uh, we hosted Phosphagy in Nottingham in England. So uh, that's a good reason to go and maybe to sing a little bit. Uh, anyway, have. Have a really great time at Phosphagy. Uh, thank you so much thank for you. giving us time today. To the listeners, uh, all the links to contact Marco are in the show notes. If you haven't downloaded, if you're the one person in the geo world who hasn't downloaded QGIS, 
for goodness sake, go to QGIS.org and download the software and give it a try. Um, maybe when you go to the website, you could also click on the donate button and, you know, 10, 20 euros, not a lot of money, but it makes a big difference when hundreds of people do that. Um, Marco, thank you very much. Apologies to everybody for the little interruptions whilst we Marco's been on the train, but we got there. So thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any um, suggestions for topics that we should uh, cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. Um, you can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. Um, you can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. Um, you can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMob event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.